0: Welcome to Farmarama as we happily hop into spring. Lots of work to be done in the fields, although, of course, the hungry gap is upon us, so we won't be seeing the fruits of all the labour for a few months yet.
1: This month, we get into some uh, meaty discussions as we hear from cellular agriculturist Abby Glencross about her vision for a sustainable
2: farming future. Hannah visits Keats Community Organics to unearth some business tips for urban farmers. And all the way from the highlands of Scotland,
1: we hear from Keisha Crawford-Avis, our newest contributor.
0: And finally to India and Rohit Jain, a young Indian entrepreneur and farmer who has rejuvenated the farming landscape in Udaipur, India.
1: So first, Abby went to visit another Abby, Abby Glencross, Abby G, who's the first UK-funded cellular agriculturist. And she makes animal products. Without any animals?
3: So I work on thick bovine muscle tissue, which is essentially steak. Um, so I grow a steak in the lab.
2: Steak in the lab? I'm not really too sure what to make of this, Joe. It's, um, it's certainly unorthodox. So I, I, I don't really see how this fits in with my vision for a um, smaller scale farming future. Well, actually, Nigel, from Abby G's point of view, She's on the same side
1: as you in the battle against mass agriculture. Let's have a look and see if she can convince you.
3: Basically, we're fighting the same fight, or we've, we're facing the same challenges, which is things like economy of scale, of large-scale farming, industrial farming. So if we can work together to, to get rid of that, then we've both got our own kind of niche markets Um, It's not going to get rid of small-scale farming, you know, people are always going to want meat and actually farming, as you guys know, can be used for land management and biodiversity and and everything like that. So actually, if we can connect on that kind of personal level and realise we're both against the same thing and trying to get rid of the same thing, then hopefully we'll actually make a difference together. I come from a really rural background and I also come from an engineering background now. Um, and I think that once once you realise that science and engineering are in everything in our society, it, they're in every food we eat, unless you kind of use land that has never been touched and grow your own, you know, from your own seas sort of thing. And that, it's just every part of it. So people think it's scary because they think there's a load of nutty professors in white coats, like, playing with life. But actually, we're just doing, you know, an, another form of farming and certain types of farming have evolved over the ages like so we never used to farm from the word dot like we used to scavenge for our food so there is this evolution timeline um and like cellular agriculture or like culturing is just another part of that timeline um when industrialization came in people thought were horrified and now that unfortunately has become the norm so maybe this is like uh, an alternative form but hopefully it, it's better for everyone involved in things like
0: industrialization so do you still need animals even when you're growing lab meat? You, do you need animals like as the starting point?
3: Yeah, so we, we take a muscle biopsy from a cow. Um, my my supervisor who makes like the burgers um, showed me the process. And Yeah, we take a biopsy and you must separate out muscle stem cells, which are in like the muscle fibers, um, and you multiply them from one to many by just feeding them sort of thing. Um, but... you you do need a cow to to begin with, but it doesn't kill the cow sort of thing. Um, Steak is more complex, and I know there's fat involved and um, capillaries, nervous system, so it is a work in progress. Um, But tissue engineering to put back into people, that's kind of quite a developed field as it is, so there's a lot of literature to work from.
0: I still think that a lot of smaller-scale farmers would say, I just don't understand how what you're doing is going to benefit me in any way. Um, And
3: I've totally come up against that too. When I went home, um, some of my friends just wouldn't speak to me. They didn't want to know. Um, But like I said, they are coming up against big farms, um, different types of farming that are alien to them and producing really awful things for the planet. Like, you know, even the waste goes into massive cesspools and things like that. So they are combating that. And everyone that I know is involved in cellular agriculture is has the drive to get rid of that large scale um polluting like toxic farming that's kind of become the norm so like i said people are always going to eat meat you're never going to stop everyone in the world eating meat so why not take that market try and reduce it so that just the small scale farmers doing it you know right can can you know feed as much of that market as possible um and then we can sort of subsidize that sort of thing um rather than these big companies that we're all fighting against. It could even be used in places that you, you can't farm as well, or where, like, for example, in some countries, farming um, on a small scale is people's livelihoods like entirely, and then they'll have a flood or a drought or whatever, and their livestock will die, and then they have no way to make money. Um, you know, It's not a country where they will be supported. So what if you could introduce cellular agriculture as a way that farmers will always be supported or they can do that themselves as well because they already have a herd of animals so maybe in that sense it can be used together as well um, it doesn't have to be us and them either you can integrate both into, into the, the same thing um, so I think it's more diverse than, than people realise
1: What do you think Nigel? Friend or foe? Would you have a cellular meat lab on your farm? Maybe fueled by tissue from one of your heritage heifers? <laughs>
2: I'm not convinced Joe. Um it just seems so far-fetched. I mean, I like it's something out of a science fiction novel. And I mean, I I would just have to sort of see understand the process better to um you know, to to really support something like this because I I think um it's I I, I just yeah, I just don't know what to think. <laughs>
1: Um, Understand the process and maybe yeah. uh,
2: maybe taste it too, because that's a big part of this, right? How yeah. how so the taste test would be pretty pretty important, but also I think it's the the ooh the you know the the kind of it's grown in a lab. This is not a natural product. It concerns me that I'm, I just don't, you know just they're making this stuff from a pe- from a petri dish or something, and, and it just seems very odd, and it doesn't sort of stack up. Um, Well, certainly coming from a farming tradition of many hundreds of years, and this is very new, and I just, yeah, I think I would um, need to learn more. Taste, smell, test it.
1: But Abby, you were the person who was there speaking to her. Uh, What was your take?
0: Well, I I too am very sceptical of lab-grown meat and have been since the beginning, because for me it could be a very dark future of meat being grown in huge labs that are owned by massive corporations, and I just see that as, like, really scary future food. But I, what I found really refreshing about Abby G was that um, she's very open-minded, and she's very keen to talk to smaller-scale farmers about, you know, how can this be part... How can what she's doing be part of uh, what they see as a resilient future of food? I think Abby G feels that You know, the technology that she's creating really doesn't have to go in the more scary direction that we're all thinking in our heads.
1: I think the scary direction is kind of cool. I can imagine a... I mean, I'm not convinced either right now. But I can see a future where I could find this. Not just okay, but exciting. (laughs) From the lab to the magical remote highlands of Scotland... It's now time to hook up with Perthshire smallholder, Keisha crawford Davis. As we found, defining farmer is often quite complex, and the definition of a small-scale farm is really quite variable. Even in the UK, we find ourselves in a bit of a pickle often. Farmer or grower, smallholder or crofter. Keisha investigates, in this report from the Scottish Smallholder Festival.
4: This is Keisha. I'm back from a fantastic day at the Scottish Smallholder. One of the reasons we moved out here to the edge of the Highlands um, was because of how beautiful the landscape is. But once we're here, it's become quite noticeable how remote we really are and how that actually affects our, our daily life. So having occasions like the smallholder festival or conference where you are with other people who have um, similar issues, it just reminds you that you're part of a much bigger whole. How do you think smallholders differ from farmers?
5: I think it's really different. I don't like the two labels being separate because I, I don't think it's just as straightforward as that. I, and I think that the, the line is, is, is stretched. It's somebody who farms on a small scale but generally has another income that comes in. And, and I think more and more, as agriculture is changing, the line that you would draw in the sand, if you want to draw a line between smallholding and farming, is actually moving. More and more farming families are generating income from, from off-farm.
4: It's interesting you're talking about lines, um, because obviously being in Scotland, we've got crofting as well. So... The differences, or the similarities actually, between crofting and smallholding, are they one and the same thing, but just different from a historical point of view?
5: Yes. Well, well, they are basically the same in in many cases. I think the the fundamental difference with crofting, apart from the legislative differences, are that the vast majority of of, um, crofts are tenanted whereas the vast majority of small holdings are owner-occupied. And I think that is a fundamental difference, and I think it makes a difference to how they operate. If the First Minister of Scotland was to come and ask me, I think we should simplify the crofting legislation, and I think we should extend it to the whole of Scotland. Um, Where people in the lowlands can register their properties as being crofts, that would set certain responsibilities on them in terms of using that land for agriculture, horticulture, forestry but they would receive some benefit from that, whether that would be the permission to build a house or um, access to loans or or whatever. Crofters, obviously, tend to be much more rural. um, And they have, you know, there are obviously issues if you're in some of these areas of Scotland of connectivity, infrastructure, access to other services. um, So there there are differences, but... I think the, the similarities are actually greater than the differences. Because I,
4: I, I do wonder if um, sometimes because of these lines, it, it also stops the transfer of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Because I think small, uh, another difference, I would say, that smallholders, as a lot of them, are new into farming, whereas crofting might have been in the family for generations. I'm not saying all smallholders mm. are like that, um, but I just wonder if there is knowledge within the crofting community that smallholders could really benefit from and likewise the other way around yeah. because of the similar sizes and scales of the operations.
5: I, w- I would agree with that. Um, I also think one of the f- differences between crofters and smallholders that, and I don't mean this as a criticism, crofters take themselves much more seriously. Yeah. They very much, my impression is that they very much recognise the contribution that they make to the communities that they live and work in whereas smallholders I don't think I don't think we as a group recognise the contributions that we make um, in terms of producing local food and access to food and giving people access to information about you know, food and farming um, and I think smallholders need to get better
4: Something that actually came throughout all the talks from improving wildflower meadows to um, marketing and selling your business online uh, to um, permaculture was about encouraging linking and encouraging linking in a positive way uh, and creating communities Um, be that creating communities between plants in a permaculture garden or creating communities of people who are going to um, transfer skills and knowledge, or customers, if you're talking about online marketing. But it's all really about encouraging linking, and I suppose that's about encouraging the ecosystem that we live in, that we are a part of. It was a great day, and uh, I very much recommend anyone to come to the one next year and in the meantime if you're in Lanark in September come along to the small Smallholders um, show
0: Keisha actually just got in touch with us on Twitter and made this recording for us or for you on her phone so if any of you hear something interesting and feel like doing the same thing, then please do talk to us about it. Or, you know, Twitter's good, or you can email us through the website. As ever, our Twitter is at farmarama underscore underscore. Our website is farmarama.co. Urban farming has taken quite a hammering in recent weeks. Headlines like... Is urban farming only for rich hipsters?
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) No! And the publication in the US of a survey which concluded that most urban farmers aren't making a living. Kind of a depressing title, really.
1: But closer to home, Hannah's been involved with many an urban farm initiative, and she's keen to buck these trends. So she headed off to Keats Community Farm in South London
2: and gleaned three top tips for the urban grower. First up, what about selling plants as well as food to make a bit of extra income?
6: Sorry, so Jack was saying they're going to be focusing on selling uh, plants this year as something new um, to try and get some income in. But it's really good because once you take those to market, if they don't sell, you can take them back and then you can try again or you can use them. So you're not getting that waste. Perfect,
7: just keep on repotting them. Yeah, so that's the idea to have something that's kind of lower maintenance and less risk. Um, than doing a market store where you just like harvest loads and loads and then it down. potentially
6: you've got a lot yeah. to lose
2: tip number two a handy tip for making the most of boxes but
7: take, oh sorry there's some crates behind
6: the... me blue crates and you take them to the restaurants like that yes yeah,
7: yeah. really nice wicked
6: appealing. okay put a bit of paper underneath that's a really good idea and then you get them back
7: Yeah. Yeah. So we're always on the scavenge for those (laughs) And we just Obviously we've never bought any It's just you just see sometimes on a night out They're so useful though yeah. A massive load by um, the market. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So
6: by using these crates, they're not having to like seal up a ton of plastic bags, which again costs money, isn't yeah, yeah. very environmentally and friendly. Aerated, they stack, and they fit in the fridges. They're aerated. They're stuck. That's a great solution. Pretty much harvest straight into them, so you only have to hand time handle again. the
3: salad once yeah. or twice. So. it's actually ended up that we we harvest into
7: these. But then, but yeah, just straight means. into the fridge, Just like, you've got to keep it cool, you've got to keep it fresh. And everyone
2: understands the importance of eating seasonally. As a grower, you need to push this message. Um,
7: but, yeah, we try to have a real understanding of what people will order every week, yeah. you know, and try and set up a standing order with them, which is basically, OK, every week you have this, and then Chrissy will also push extra on them every week as well. Good girl. Yeah, yeah. pretty much.
6: Yeah, because they don't know what's ready or... Yeah. No, they yeah, want I to mean, know what's good. Exactly.
3: But basically we, we picked restaurants that, that profess to, to cook
7: seasonally and source locally. Yeah. So we tell them to put that
8: yeah, so
3: where the mouth, mouth is. is. It's kind of difficult to, you know, when somebody's calling you up and being like, I've heard you guys are really into local produce and we're a farm that's two miles away. I think it's then really difficult for them to be
6: like, Turn sorry, it down. no, yeah, we've got a local supplier it. in Italy. you know what I mean? Totally, Yeah.
2: yeah. Hannah, now a treasured regular contributor with Jack and Christina with some tips from the urban farmer at Keats Community Farm.
1: And if you're a grower looking for a bit of extra support on whatever scale, then we can recommend the Capital Growth Network. They can support you with advice, training, discounts and a wide network of over 2,000 gardens and growers throughout the city of London. though of course interest, though of course of interest to those of you further afield.
0: And finally, we talked to Rohit, a young entrepreneur based near the city of Udaipur, India, who we met in Italy last year. So what's he up to?
8: So we run a farmers' club where uh, we have uh, 148 farmers which are, who are working with us and we are collectively uh, collecting their produce. And also, like, we, like, yeah, first, why we started this? Because we want to revive our, all the tra- indigenous seeds and uh, uh, indigenous recipes. But what I found, if uh, like, farm, like farmer will grow all the indigenous seeds and uh, process it, when they will get a market. So we started a store in Udaipur in the city. And we connect con- uh, consumer to farmers, so they get a- farmers get better price, and consumer get a good food. So um, it's a- the local system where the- and no middlemen except our that's collective. Uh, so farmers sell their all the produce to our collective, and then uh, our collective uh, pr- uh, sell to the consumer. And the most of farmers are in- uh, involved in the processing. And now, like we have introduced millets in a different fro- uh, pr- uh, in a form, like so we introduce millet cookies, uh, millet. Uh, uh, millet punch, like you can just add in a, uh, like you just add water in that and just drink for a uh, healthy punch. So, so that's uh, revived all our, our indigenous seeds and recipes. So we are working towards this. They are realizing, like through chemicals and all these things, their soil is uh, getting spoiled. So they don't want to do chemical farming. And like after our collectives, and uh, they soak uh, like they can they can come back to their uh, traditional practices. And if there will be any losses. But the people will be there to support them. So, so they, now they don't have a fear of uh, getting them uh, losses or in the farming. So it's a natural. So there will be some disaster, there will be some losses. But it's, it's, it should be community-based. So that's why we make a community for farmers to comu- consumers. So if something happens and something bad happens in the field, so then the consumers should be, be ready to bear this. A consumer comes um like uh, once in a year and two uh, twice in a year to just see how we like how we are doing and to connect also they want to the connect to the farmers like yeah who who is growing for for them so that's that. but we have like we have physical store at uh city area so where they can easily find their product
0: um and how do you kind of organize that is it like uh through a website or no
8: no 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 uh, I, although i am a software engineer but uh, yeah we we have website and uh, but we don't use website for this it's just like a phone you call it you come and actually in india it's i don't know about the other part of the world but i know about the india the psychology uh, of um, like because in india like yeah generally housewives cook for the whole family and yeah so so the women want to feel their uh, product like how it looks like so they generally don't prefer to buy all these products from the Uh, internet in metro cities it's prefer like Udaipur is a small town so uh, where so where women want to see their products and they come and then order and yeah most of them they order through the phone they have seen like they have seen our products earlier so they just yeah okay you you send this this stuff at our place and we have uh, like a person who supply uh, um, like who do home delivery it's our fourth year we started three years before like it's fourth year is running and uh, so, so we have a, a store in a city a city's heart and slowly slowly like uh, 15 to 30 30 to 60 60 to 120 and then 250 and now it's reached to 800.
0: How does it make the farmers feel and yourself being part of the collective how do you feel?
8: young farmers doesn't want to do like don't want to do farming right and uh, so uh, when we started this uh, consumer like consumer meat go to the farmers and make so then they realize they are doing something great so which so that, which gives them recognition so now they are not getting too much and like it's good for their survival but they are they are ready to do farming because they know that they are doing something for great thing great cause so that's
0: <laughs> It's really great to hear how Rohit is using the power of the cooperative to diversify and figure out different offerings with the grains they are growing like their millet punch and cookies I also thought it was interesting the importance of connecting with the consumers and how that makes young people realise they can really contribute by growing food because they directly see the value it brings.
1: I'm not sure we say this often enough, but thank you to everyone out there helping make great food for people. Without you, the people of this
2: world would be in a really dire situation. Thanks for joining us this time. Remember... We want to hear from you. Keep sending your recordings and ideas as you really make the show. And with Spring just around the corner, why not help spread the word by sharing our latest episodes via social media on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter?
0: So let's knit an ever wider web of people who understand the importance and resilience of smaller-scale farming. To for now.
2: Torah for now. <laughs> and it's Torah from me. <laughs>